Welcome to episode 10 of the Helpful Huddle podcast, where we interview Michael Caligari on the different subjects surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion. Michael is finishing his PhD at Penn State, and the focus of his research is in the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. What I want you to do now is turn up your volume, kick back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Helpful Huddle podcast. I am your host, Luke Pierce, and I'm sitting here with a really good friend of mine, Michael. I actually only know you by your first name. I have no idea how to say your last name, but say hi to the people and tell us how to say your last name. Hello, everyone. And my last name of being such a dear friend to Luke Pierce is Michael Caligiuri. Caligiuri. I always say Caligiuri, but... Oh, you're so close. I was, it's right there, you know, (laughs) we've only known each other for six years. I've only known you as Michael. (laughs) You know what? And we've come such a long way. It used to be, hey, Mike, and now it's Michael, and now it's Michael Caligari. So we're going all the way. We've got two names in there. Maybe a third one's coming. (laughs) The middle name is in there, but I, I don't, I very rarely let that out of the bag. Well, we, won't, we don't have to today in front of our tens and tens of listeners. <laughs> it's better than my my one listener, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, Michael, I do like to start these podcasts off with a little bit of how we met yeah. and then kind of diving into your story. So pl- sure. f- please feel free to add anything onto this. But we met in New York City at Equinox. You were a... Uh, not a client, but a member. And I was a trainer. Yep. And my first, I, and please forgive me if this wasn't our first conversation, but my first recollection of conversation was you telling me what train to take to get to New Jersey so that I could do a a photo shoot. I, I do. I, yeah, because I had, you had started, so I, I had been going to that Equinox probably for a few months because they just opened mm-hmm. and you just started the job. Yeah, they opened in the fall and I started, I remember because it was specifically like the first Monday after the new year. Yep. So, it, yeah, because I, it was convenient for me because at that point I was going to NYU, which was three blocks away. I mean, my, the academic building that my classes were located in was right there. So it was an easy, easy walk for me. And then I I was like, all right, here's a new trainer. I am going to meet somebody new. I was trying to push my introverted self to meet new people. And then I heard Hoboken. I'm like, I know how to get there. (laughs) So I had no idea. So no, that, and you interjected and helped, which was super beneficial. And now we're still very good friends six years later, all because you took that step as an introvert. I'm telling you, it, it is all about the chances that you take in life. I'm like, he's probably going to hate me for in- interrupting the conversation because you were at the front desk. And I, I remember I was checking in. I'm like, well, actually, I can help you because I've taken that train. So you are absolutely right. That is the first um yeah probably the first time we we spoke perfect i'm glad that i didn't completely forget um <laughs> it was but it was a long time ago so and i can't you know i honestly for most even my best of friends i probably can't remember the first conversation i had with them so criminal 
criminal. <laughs> Call me a bad friend, but we keep up with each other. I, you know what? I am never one to say that because I go, wait a minute. I, I know where, where did we meet? What did we do? And then it's usually we, we piece it together through conversation. Uh -huh. So absolutely. <laughs> we, we try it. our very best. Yes, we do all the time. That's all. Um, you know what? That is all that you can do. For sure. But I do want to get started with our interview. And I always start off with, I want to hear your story of how you got to where you are now, giving nothing away besides the title if someone's watching on YouTube or they clicked on the episode on, <laughs> for the podcast of where you're, but of where you're in, ended up. So Mike, sure. I'm giving you the floor. To, what's your story? Sure. So in, a real interesting story. So I'm originally a, a New York state native i have to make sure i add that little plug because very I've different been, um yeah it's, it's caught up with me in the past so i am a new york state native from western new york originally born and raised in rochester and my career actually i started really a non-traditional academic and career path um i went right into industry into the hotel industry when I was 18 years old. My first job was when I was 15 years old, um, working at a really, really old and outdated um, chain that I don't think exists anymore. They do somewhere in some spots um, back at Ponderosa Steakhouse. Um, yeah, see, <laughs> it's like, whoa, flash from the past, but um, you know, I worked my way through in hotel management, worked for, you know, a lot of um, main, large, international, global firms, and made my way from Rochester to Connecticut, where I lived just um, outside of New York City, near New Haven, where I was my first management job in a small town called Trumbull, Connecticut. So it's just south of New Haven, and it is in the middle of nowhere. But um, I worked there for about four years, and then I ended up moving into New York City, into Manhattan, and worked, um, was given an opportunity at a four-star, four-diamond um, property right in um, Midtown Manhattan. And I became, really, my career kind of launched at that point from a management perspective, where I started to oversee departments um got to oversee vip guests i actually was able to deal with some nhl hockey teams the nba um when they came and stayed at our hotel in midtown which was really awesome got to see sit courtside at madison square garden on vip tickets i mean it really some incredible experiences um and met amazing people and then um i Around that time, actually, I started my own business. There was a um, a little thing that people now know as Airbnb, which started in New York City. But I actually um, started a property management company, and I started um, managing the Airbnb units for people who own them, who were renting them out, and I would manage the reservation systems. Meanwhile, still having my career um, in the hotel field. And so I became a 
mixed entrepreneur and um, hotelier. And then I, I switched hotel companies. In my last job, I was part of Fairmont Hotels. Um, I was one of the managing directors that reopened. Everybody knows the Plaza Hotel in New York City, right on Central Park. Yep. And there, there were events in my life where I, my, my company was growing to a point where I needed to make a decision whether I was going to stay in corporate America or make the leap of faith and go into the entrepreneurial field full time because I, I wasn't able to sustain both. And so what I, I did end up leaving the hotel company um, to pursue my entrepreneurial background. But I also, at the same time, I had never gone to college. I never had a college degree, even an undergrad at that point. And I was, I'm going to give my age away here, but I was 31 at that point, um, had just turned 30, going into 31. And so I, I made the decision. I said, you know what, here I am. I have my own business. I'm doing really well. I want to go back to school. I, you know, I want to earn my degree because all of my friends had either bachelors, most had masters, some had really advanced degrees. And so I applied to NYU, not knowing that it's, everybody knows NYU, but they're like, when I eventually got accepted, um, I didn't realize that their acceptance rate at that point was about 12%. And, wow. mm -hmm. and so I was accepted and my friends were like, how did you get in? I'm like, doesn't everybody? <laughs> like, I was just like, <laughs> um, apparently not. So I went to NYU for my undergrad and I realized fairly quickly within the first two years there, how much I love academia um, and the environment to work in the classroom and to just learn and explore and be able to challenge thoughts and be able to challenge yourself and others. Um, and so fairly quickly, I then um, want intended to um, go for my master's program. And then in my senior year of my undergrad, before I started my master's program, I said, you know what, I'm going to go all the way, I, I want to do my PhD. And so I did my master's with the intent in working towards um, applying for doctoral programs. And then I um, am now currently at Penn State, soon in months, finishing my PhD. Um, and so, and come this fall, I will be starting as a professor at Cal Poly. So I'm very, very excited. This has been an incredible journey um, through life. And and Luke, you've seen me pretty much at all stages over <laughs> six years. You've seen me in, in between all of that. So it's it's really cool to have one of who I, you know, my best friends who has seen me grow personally and professionally. Yeah. And it's been a blessing seeing you grow it even from the very beginning where I mean I didn't know the entrepreneurial side about you so seeing you grow from where you were to now is truly amazing and something that I do want to highlight because the I mean the podcast is obviously called the helpful huddle and and 
if you didn't know, it's all about giving the platform to people that want to help others. So I'm trying to help people help people, if you will. Yeah. And we were we were having a conversation off camera or at least not recording. And you were talking about your kind of style of teaching and giving yeah. students the opportunity. And, and I'd like to bring that back up because I thought it was so powerful and is a kind of a perfect segue into sure. what we were about to dive into. So do you mind talking about that like we had previously? Sure. So, you know, I, I everybody in life, we have different strengths, we have different experiences. And one of my my main research area and what I pursue is diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. But when I teach and when I when I have taught in the past, what I what I firmly believe is a core value of mine is that we have to recognize that everybody comes from different backgrounds and have um, everybody has different experiences. So when I'm an instructor and when I teach a course, of course, I have to meet certain objectives, right? There are benchmarks that, of knowledge that I have to convey and I have to, you know, get across in the classroom. But how do you achieve that? Though That's truly the question that as an instructor, I ask of myself. And so what I do is I approach a topic in multiple ways, right? How can I have this topic of, you know, let's just say sustainability, right? Of corporate social responsibility. How do I get you to understand that? Is it through, because everybody learns different, right? Some people are really good at taking exams. Some people are really good at writing papers. Some people are really good at discussing and working in groups. So at the end of the day, it's not so much about, are you receiving an A, B, C, or D and every, Every, you know, judging everybody on a unified platform, but instead giving everybody the opportunity to succeed at what they excel at. And so for my, my perspective, right, is my job is to help you be the best version of yourself. And how can I do that? Because everybody has the potential inside of them. My job as an academic is to create an environment that you can actually embrace and the best version of yourself can emerge. And through that, right, then that is when we actually advance as a society, as a classroom, as an organization, because you take something that you've learned, you've improved your knowledge, and that is a huge step forward. And so I think those are the, the steps that I take, right? And help and coach and mentor and be there and also acknowledge that I want to learn in life, that I continually want to learn. And I learn from my students. Um, and so it, it is a reciprocal relationship, right? Because everybody has a, comes from different backgrounds. And that is awesome. That is something that is really, really powerful and really humbles me. I love that. And I, and I hope more professors are like you in that way of thinking. And your students are going to be very fortunate, the ones that you've already had and the ones that you will have in California as well. 
Um, Thank you. But I do want to kind of dive into your research. You were starting to talk about it a little bit that you focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Yeah. Um, before we dive in to your research, I, I do need you to define diversity, equity, and inclusion as you see it, or at least as, as how we're going to talk about it. Sure. So I always, what I, when I give, I, instead of giving a straight definition, right, I don't think that's the best way to do it. I always, and I ask my students, right, what do you think DEI means? Because we always hear this term thrown around right? We have to be more inclusive. We have to be more equitable. But what does that really mean? And I and I boil it down to a real world kind of analogy. And I say, we have all in our life at some point, I hope, have been invited to a party, right? And so the analogy that I start off with is diversity is the initial state of, you know, if you're in college and you're printing out the pamphlets to, you know, promote a party on Friday or Saturday night, you're you're distributing those flyers. You are diverse, right? You're just walking down the street or going down your dorm hall or wherever it may be in your classroom. You're handing out the pamphlets, right? Saying, you know, the party is open to everyone. Cool. That is diversity, right? Diversity is just simply the the difference difference in personal characteristics. That's it. So, okay, so now we got the diversity part down. Mm -hmm. But equity is when you're at the dance party, right? Are you actually standing in the corner or, or are people talking to you? Maybe somebody asks you to dance. And I always like to joke, I'm like, I am the last person anyone wants to dance with because I do not dance. So I, I promise that. you, I you can invite me, but I, I don't dance very well. So, um, but we think about equity, right? So you've been invited to the party, but now when you're at the party, is somebody asking you to dance? Are you being included? Do you have a seat at that table? That is equity, right? But then the final step of that is, so somebody walks up to you and says, you know, let's let's dance. But that inclusion part is separate from equity. The inclusion part is actually taking the hand of that person and dancing with them on the dance floor. So it's it's a multi it's a multi stage process of one: Are you being invited to the party? Two: Are you being asked to dance? And three, are you actually dancing with other people at the party? If all three parts are there, then we can say that is both not only diverse, but it is equitable and it is inclusive. Um, and then I always add, because of late, people have put the belonging in there, the DEIB. And I think belonging is, and in, in kind of talks and discussion with friends and colleagues and um, just general forum it is kind of the outcome of DEI, right? So if you're, if you are, you know, inviting everybody to the party and you're dancing with them, then people will feel like they belong, right? Whether they choose to dance or not, that is totally separate, but that is, that is, that cultivates a sense of belonging, which is really yeah. cool. 
Got it. That's interesting. I've never heard the B added to it, but I've also never heard DEI described in that way. And on, I guess, honestly, this is like the first conversation I've had about it outside of with my wife, who who is very passionate about it being a Latino woman. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm glad that we're able to have this conversation. And now I want to kind of dive into like your research around it. If you, if you don't mind giving us a synopsis of what <laughs> you're researching, how and sure. how it applies. And we'll get into more application a little bit later, but more of like what you're researching. Sure. So I deal with, um, within the DEI space, there, there are a variety of um, research domains. And what I research specifically is on in what we categorize as invisible stigmatized identities. So those are personal identities that people identify with that are not obviously visibly depicted. Um, and so that can range right from a person's um, sexual orientation, that can religious ide religious ideology, political ideology, um, socioeconomic status, um, education level. So those are all identities that people carry with them and within them that are not visibly depicted. Um, and so on the flip side of that, you do have visible stigmatized identities, which tend to, um, people are mo most familiar with race, gender, gender identity. Um, and so some of my previous work has um, focused on the LGBTQ plus community. Um, so that is, that is inclusive of um, sexual orientation and gender identity. So uh, um, it is a broad area. Gotcha. No, and I think that provides an excellent scope of like what you're looking at, if you will. So I guess, I guess if you don't mind, and I don't know, are you allowed to talk about your research, like findings <laughs> sure. and everything? Oh. Well, findings, you have to wait until they're published. <laughs> so oh, once it's published, I will absolutely come back on the podcast and talk about Perfect. it. Um, but what I, so I think the better way for me to frame it is more of how I do my research. Um, and so I do my research both in two different worlds. One is I conduct anonymous surveys um, and I work in combination with companies that will, you know, through my relationships, I can say, you know what, here's a project that I'm currently working on. I'd be really interested in, you know, um, you participating and I'll share my results with you, but you know, Hey, would you be willing to participate? And some are, some aren't. And so what I do is I distribute the surveys and then I collect and analyze and give statistical results, you know, gotcha. look at, here's what we found on how people are emotionally attached to their organization. And here are reasons why, right? And so we frame that in using theory, of saying here's why we believe these um, results will be here. And then we run it, we um, analyze it, and then we come up with our statistical results and we discuss it, right? So it, then 
based on the statistical results, we say, okay, you know, here's these bunch of numbers, but what do these numbers actually mean? And so we interpret them and make it meaningful for businesses because not many people, at least that I've encountered, love statistics. There are very few people that actually enjoy it. Um, and so for, for, for me and what I do is I go, okay, all of these numbers, right? I can talk about significance levels and confidence intervals and no one's interested in that other than publications, but they want to say, so what, what does this mean? And so I take that and translate it to the practical side. What does it mean for industry? And so I, I, I bridge that from the academic perspective to industry and say, okay, based on these results, here's what it could tell us, right? About businesses and operations and how people operate, how people feel within the organization. And that, so that's part of what I do. Gotcha. No, that that's very beneficial. And I wish we could talk about results, but we'll digress to a second episode. Um, I, 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 you and I are both football fans, so I, I will punt for now <laughs> downfield. <laughs> Sounds you, good. You fair, can run it back. Fair catch. Fair later. catch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I do want to kind of back up, I guess, a little bit of like, did you? I assume you had a hand in choosing this area of research. Mm -hmm. um how why dei why this how did uh, you get involved in this yeah that is a um great question and thank you for asking that so this actually was inspired right so it's actually really interesting on your podcast on your title right the helpful huddle it was really in kind of an internal um reflection for me of, you know, I had a great career in corporate America and I met some amazing mentors and had some incredible bosses, but I would look at decisions that were made, right? From a corporate executive level going, this doesn't make sense. Like employees are gonna be upset by this. Why are we, why, why is this, this decision or these decisions being made? And so, and especially when it came to a sense of fairness, when I originally would look and say, this isn't really right, maybe. And so I, I started to question inside of myself of how are these decisions being made and why are they being made the way that they are? And, and then thinking about it, not from a research perspective, because I didn't know, right? but I saw people leave, quit, resign, you know, however, or people not being as productive because of decisions that were being made. And I went, something's not working here. Something's not right. And so I started to do a lot of reading, um, just some um, consulting handbooks and some, you know, Harvard review, business review books and going, these are really interesting case studies, right? And I started to kind of self-teach and self-learn about, you know, what are some, what is this terminology? What does this mean? And then I went into, I got into work and into school. And when I got into school, I started to learn some of this terminology and the, the 
theory behind it and the research that has been done for years, right? And then some of the work that has been really seminal for me um, dates back to the 1960s um, when one of the first publications by Irving Goffman came out calling Stigma. And that's a research that was done, a, a book that was published, and I highly recommend it for anyone that's um, interested in this. Um, and it just talks about, I looked at it and went, oh my gosh, we were talking about this in 1963 is when it was first published. And we're still having the same conversation 60 years later. Wow. And especially when it came to invisible stigmatized identities, right? About sexual orientation. I'm like, we're, we're still asking those same questions and why, right? Because up until maybe 10, 15 years ago, you really didn't talk about it, right? And so now's the time, like I, if I'm in a position to ask questions and hopefully, you know, help others. And, you know, I believe in, in my very, very just heart of hearts, right? If that we can help each other, then that is when we become better as a society. And so I, you know, I, I look, I explore, and I want to understand, right? Why do people feel the way that they do? And how can we help each other? Um, and so I think that that's what inspires me every day for what I do. Mm -hmm. No, I, I love that. And I know it's probably, research not e isn't easy. PhD is not easy. But it's got it's got to be a little bit easier for you because you have such a passion for what you're doing and why you're doing it. And you want to help future generations because like you were just talking about, you were reading a paper that's having the same conversation 60 years ago. And we're going to be coming up on a century ago, still having the same conversations without which I think we're. And I please correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's steps being taken in the correct direction. Oh yeah. But, I, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, make make no. Let me be very very clear about this. Right. <laughs> incredible incredible steps have been taken. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's always opportunity to advance. Right. Of so of course here we look at it and say take it out of context of the DEI space for a moment. But mm -hmm. our understanding of management styles, right, and leadership theory has evolved over, we've, we've studied it, there's actually text about this, all the way back to the Greek and Roman era. I mean, there, there are publications wow. out of this. Wow. So they have ancient scrolls that talk about this, right, different leadership styles. And we continually evolve our, you know, and that is that is in part by science, our ability to communicate with each other. You know, if you think about 20 years ago, this podcast would not be possible. The, the technology didn't exist. Right. So now we have the tools um, that give us the opportunity to ask more in-depth questions. 
So we take the work that has been done and we build on it. So it's not like we're starting with a blank slate. We're just enhancing our understanding. Think about genetic testing, biomedical engineering. I mean, yeah. fields change. It's not that we it started zero in year 2023. No, we build on it, right? I mean, that's just, um, so we progress through it. And so for me, I think that's that's just a natural progression in life. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I, I say I, the book and 1963, but our incredible, we have some amazing work um, that some from some faculty that are absolutely incredible. And I, if any, I, I can go down a road any day talking about this at any time because it is something that I absolutely love. Um, and so we we acknowledge that you know where we we have been and where we currently are, but also where we're we going. And this is when I say I, I quote one of the I have it um right up in front of my desk that says you learn from the past, you live in the present, but you plan for the future. And so you have to know where you've been to see where you are, but you also have to plan for the future. And that is hopefully where we are all going <laughs> to a bright I future. <laughs> I sure hope so. I definitely hope so. Um, and I think we could take that conversation down a million roads but for the sake of for the sake of this podcast, we're we're gonna reel it back into DEI. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bring it on. Um, Bring it on. Of course. Um, and we were talking about the history of th things, like and history being like even the 1962 paper you were talking about. Yeah. And my my wife actually had a question that I want to bring up, and for you. Uh oh. And that's. <laughs> And, and and it's kind of how do you respond to the belief that DEI is only for like historically marginalized um, groups and believe that it doesn't apply to them? Ooh, <laughs> that's a great question. It <laughs> sounds like a question I, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that and put it in a paper for my students to answer and see what comes out of it. Um, do it. You know what? I think, hmm, I'm going to answer that in actually two parts, right? Of course. Is Take wherever you want. One, it goes back to something that we were talking about a little bit earlier, is that everybody comes with and from different experiences. So you have to respect that, right? And I think in, in the second part of that is the, the power of DEI is not about talking, but about listening and hearing what other people are saying, right? So I look at it and go, I have my experiences, but tell me about yours, right? And whether that be good, bad, or indifferent, tell me why you feel the way that you do. Because when you listen and you hear other people's voices, 
that is about that is what is at the heart of DEI, right? And so, and so we can say that people are talking, but what about communicating? Because those are two different terms, right? Absolutely. Is if you can talk and put words out there, but are people hearing you? Are people actually listening? And are people actually processing the information that is being conveyed? And so I, I think part of that process is how do we actually share and have a common um, respect so that we can hear each other? And so I think that's that's probably at the at, at the heart of it is um, no one no one person has the absolute answer, and I think we we have to have humility, respect, and um, an awareness that we're all different. And that is that is actually awesome, right? Yeah. When we recognize that we're all different and we all have our powers and strengths both inside and outside, that is the best part of life. And so if we can find a way to harness all of that power, um, we are, we're not, no one will be able to stop truly the advancements that we come up with. No, I, I love it. And I don't remember at all where I heard this quote, but it, when you were talking about it and it reminded me of like, you may be listening, but are you hearing? And that's so true. And I think that's, I think that's the other half of the equation that doesn't get talked about or at least identified because I, I hear all the time about how we need to have a conversation or we've lost the ability to have a, a civil conversation or whatever it might be. But I think the other half of that is that I it's not that we aren't having the conversation, but we're not hearing each other. And I think that's a huge, huge part that people are missing and i think you hit the nail on the head talking about it yeah i i, I think it just boils down to a respect right and 100%. respect in life um and so you just have to for me right i always say help me my my go-to phrase is help me understand how you feel right mm -hmm. and i'm gonna sit here i'm not gonna talk I'm going to listen to you and let you tell me your story. Love it. No, I love that. And I, I don't have anything to add. I, I love that. And I think that we should all have that mindset going into conversations. And when we meet new people, because I think it would generate a much <laughs> more pleasant society for everyone. <laughs> And, it, you know, it's not realistic, but if we go in with that kind of open mind, I think it would it would be very, very beneficial. I, I, I'm going to, as a friend of yeah. six years, push back. I don't think I, I'm going to maybe. I, I hope you're wrong mm -hmm. that I, I I believe it is attainable. Um, I love that. And I I believe. Right in the goodness of people. And I believe that we all possess the ability 
to care for each other, mm -hmm. um, to respect each other. And I do believe that we are going to, we that equilibrium is there. Mm -hmm. um, there's more that brings us together than divides us. And I, sure. and I do believe that in, in my heart of hearts and my soul of souls. And I, I tell all of my friends, family, and people that I don't know is truly, there is more that, that unites us than divides us. And so um, it is easy sometimes to not see that, but I, I strongly believe that there is, there's a lot of good in the world. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And let me clarify what I meant by <laughs> attainable or achievable. And and what I meant was being able to sit down with every person that I meet and have that conversation. Oh, yeah. I think I 100% think that taking the, the mindset that we're talking about into every interaction is achievable. It, I agree. it may not be achievable for everybody 100% of the time because we all have our moods. Oh. But, having, <laughs> yeah. but I think having the respect for people that we keep talking about is 100% achievable. Oh, absolutely. And I I would 100% agree with you. I will not be able to speak with everyone in the world. I promise you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that's and just I not. I wish I could. I love hearing stories. <laughs> so do I. But I, you know, as much as I have traveled the world, I don't think I'm going to meet the world population. There's a lot of people. <laughs> there are. <laughs> um, but I, I do want to kind of ask, co coming back to kind of your background and what you're working on, like, yeah, talk about the benefits of having a diverse, equitable, inclusive uh, classroom and corporate America for those that are in the working force. Sure. So there's a, um, a great piece that was published a few years ago that um, really talks about how people want to be seen for who they are and have a voice in the workplace, right? Um, and so there's, and I, I think that really kind of embodies my work, right? So for me, what I talk about is my job is I go into everything with an open mind. And I don't go in saying, I'm looking for this answer, right? I let the information speak to me and what the results show. But what I also show, right, is what I look at is it's an opportunity to give voice to people, you know, kind of in circumstances that may not have been able to have a voice or don't feel comfortable sharing. But through answering a survey, maybe about some uncomfortable topics, right? Like one of the questions that I ask is about workplace ostracism, ostracism right? Do you feel like you're being excluded from work and why, right? And so these are anonymous and confidential surveys that are answered and people share. And so I'm able to give voice, even though I have no idea who the respondents are, right? I have no way of telling, but these are real people telling their story by, by trusting that their, that their answers are going to have an opportunity to be shared, right? 
And yeah. so I take that responsibility incredibly, incredibly seriously, where I go, I'm kind of a conduit to tell people's story. And so sure. that's what I do through DEI research and um, serve as kind of this pipeline to share people's stories and experiences. And then as far as the workplace, right? So for people who say, okay, Michael, you've you've talked a really good game about DEI and woohoo, right? What does that mean? But if you think about the outcomes that are associated with um, equity and inclusion in the workplace, we know and we've shown there is a huge body of literature that shows that when you employ a more diverse workforce, work productivity, job performance, um, and organizational commitment are astronomically increased. Then you have lower turnover rates. So we then right there benchmark that and say, okay, if we know this, right, then mm -hmm. what are the factors that influence that? So how do we keep this diverse population? Okay, that's kind of that equity and inclusion part, right? Do people have equal access to the resources? But also do people have equal access to share their experiences? Well, that's the inclusion part, right? And then we are starting to show, and there's, there's um, publications out there that talk about this. When people perceive that they have a voice, that their opinion matters, right? And if you follow kind of this common sense, if people think that they're part of the team, well, guess what? They're going to be more committed to the organization. And once they're more committed to the organization, productivity goes up, performance goes up, and employee morale goes up. Because one of the most toxic things in the workplace, right, is a, a, a kind of a poor work environment. If I see all of my coworkers are leaving within three months, six months, or a year, what does that say? Mm -hmm. Right? What does yeah. that mean? Well, hmm, then guess what? Morale starts to come down, more people leave, and then you can mm -hmm. see it's kind of, it, it's, you know, it's the ripples in the pond. It spreads mm -hmm. out, and it spreads like wildfire, and it's hard to recover from that. For sure, and it that reminds me of a study that I saw or statistic, not even a study that I saw of employee turnover. And I think if I remember correctly, financial reasons for leaving a job was like number eight. Yep. Like it was much lower on the list than I, than I was expecting. So it being that inclusion part of it and feeling like you have a voice, I, I'm 99% sure that was like number one. Like they didn't it feel is. included. It is. Yes, you would know. <laughs> it is. It is well, so we actually, I, I um, in my human resource management class that I, I, I've taught um, last semester, is I always put up this this bar chart, and I, I ask students in the class, I'm like, what motivates you every single day when you go to work, right? What do you? Mm -hmm. What are some things that motivate you? And I, we've talked about, and this is actually before we talk about the chapter, right? And so I ask them, and well, they they'll talk about having friends at work, you know, a knowledgeable boss, uh, promotion opportunities, growth opportunities, training opportunities. 
And then, you know, in this conversation, I, I throw that one question out there without any prompting. And then I make a list and I put everything up on the whiteboard and I go, does anyone see something missing from here? Mm -hmm. And they go, money. And I, I'm like, and then I click on the slide and money, financial, you know, you need, people want to make money. But if you mm -hmm. think about it, right, th that's a very, when we talk about motivation, that is a very short term motivational factor. Yeah. Because if you're, you can make a ton of money very quickly, right? And maybe you do as a consultant. But if you're looking to make an investment, because you're investing your time, you're spending 40, 50 hours a week. If you think about, if you actually put, the time that you respond to emails and, and commuting time, it's it's higher than 40 hours a week, right? That we work for organizations and then full time. And then what you do is go, well, do I do I love what I do? <laughs> like, and do, do I have a good friend at work? Do I trust my colleagues? Do I do I think that they have my back? And if those things aren't there, right, and that's that's very broad, but that's, you know, yeah, you know, if if I see like, are some people being excluded? Like, don't I? Why are people like, um, you know, why do some people? Why do some opinions not matter? Then mm -hmm. it starts to, you know, kind of corrupt and wear away at the organization. And that can be really very damaging. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent agree. And I, I don't have anything like to add, but it prompted the question in my head of um, like, where, like, where do you see this like DEI and this focus in not just corporate America, but in life? Like, where do you see it going? Like in the next five years? Well, we won't go like full on, like, when, when we're long gone type conversation, but like in the next five years, where do you see this heading? More questions. <laughs> and I, and I, I say that lighthearted, but I actually, I actually genuinely mean that. Right. Okay. Of, I hope my line of work and this conversation, even if I always say, right. If one person has heard this and it makes a difference in just one person's life and they go out and pose a question to somebody else, then we've made a difference, right? Yeah. So I, I think part of the job where DEI is going, it's going to evolve, right? Conversations are still going to take place five years, 10 years, 100 years from now. And I just hope for me to be part of that conversation. And for my short time here on this earth, I hope to be part of it and contribute to it. And um, I, I, I really think you see a lot of companies um, recognizing the value of it. Yeah. And I, I think in the, the short term, right, what we've seen is it has to be authentic. The, the actual care 
and buy-in because we are, as human beings, incredibly smart. And we can see that if, if it's not genuine, if it's not authentic, we're going to see it and we're going right. to figure it out. <laughs> right. And then that's more damaging if it comes back that it, your attempt was just superficial. Mm -hmm. um, that can be incredibly damaging. For sure. And I think, I mean, you previously hit on the benefits of the way of thinking and having the conversation from a corporate America side. And it obviously has turnover into the relationships in your life. But speaking just to the uh, the business side of it, um, the importance of the way of thinking and trying to implement more DEI efforts, it's more than just hiring different races. Yeah. It's the, it's the ways of life, the backgrounds of people. And like you were talking about earlier, it increases productivity, increases morale, it increases um, the likelihood that people are safe. So tenure or whatever the right word is, it's right. It's truly amazing and stuff that I, I mean, going into this conversation, I did not know that like, right. I could, I could have guessed that. Right. But I didn't know. Right. Right. And that's part of a lot of things that we talk about, right? This is just another conversation and this will mm -hmm. lead to another conversation that will, um, you know, kind of take this downhill roll of where where does it stop? I don't know, right? And I think mm -hmm. part of the conversation is acknowledging that of saying I am I am not, um, you know, the person who has all the answers. And I I always joke, but I am a very strong believer in this that anyone. Anyone that says they have all of the answers is just darn wrong because <laughs> yes. no one has all of the answers. Yes. Um, and I, I could pull a Big Bang Theory quote out of like, do it. Do it. I um, love Big Bang Theory. It is one of my, like, I love it. Um, but even then, there are things that, you know, we are all, we all have our areas of expertise, but no one knows everything. Right. And mm -hmm. you can't, it's just not possible, but you know, so it's learning and, and seeing where things go. And that is just mm -hmm. so awesome. Like so cool. Yes. No, I love that. And it, it's actually really funny. It's why we're a reason why we're actually really good friends um, to, I mean, if you think about it from the outside, you and I are two couldn't be from two more completely opposite places and pads and somehow ended up in the same place and our pads intertwined and now we've been really good friends for six yeah. years yeah. and will be the rest of our lives but, but I, it just i don't know where that tangent came from all i was gonna say was you mentioned big bang theory and when you mentioned no one knows everything all of it took everything in me to not to say well not even sheldon cooper knows everything i was, I was gonna say that but i didn't want to say it <laughs> And I had no idea you even liked Big Bang Theory. So. I love Big Bang Theory. <laughs> oh, we watch it now. Um, but get, we're getting to the end of our episode. And yeah. something I want to ask you is like, what 
if there was one thing and take this wherever you want to take it, but what do you wish people would understand about DEI? Ooh, oh, you're asking some really good, <laughs> like really, really good questions. I wish um, I could take credit for it. Thank my wife. <laughs> so um and that was not the question i thought you were going to ask so i this one's catching me a little bit off guard um answer the one that you thought i was going to and bring it back around <laughs> no the so what i i'm going to say what i hope for dei for myself right yeah, yeah. and and i think this actually applies broadly to your question is the purpose of what I hope people kind of take away from is that it, it it's an opportunity to open the door for conversations for people to express themselves. And that is in part, um, just the ability to recognize that we are all different. Um, and that is the beauty in the world. Um, and so we, you know, lower, kind of take off the blinders for a moment and not tunnel vision, but see the peripheral in the world. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that, then that's, it's going to be a pretty awesome, um, I, I, my, my hope, and I think that's where it's going. So I'm going to leave it there and I'm going to think about it some more and have a better answer for you later. <laughs> we're we're going to have to do an episode two, especially when your work gets published. Um, that may be an episode three, because I think there's so many conversations that can come from what, even the little bit that we've talked about. And I say little bit, we've talked about a lot and, but it's such like, we're, we're scratching the surface, I feel like, to of where we could take this. Oh, absolutely. Um, oh, but yeah. I, I mean, I got I to gotta know what question you thought I was going to ask. And then I'm going to oh. make you answer it, so be ready for that. It's an easy question to answer. So um, I thought, honestly, I thought the question you were going to ask me is, if you had one piece of advice for the the younger version of yourself, what would it be and why? Hey, Michael, if you had one piece of advice that for your <laughs> younger self, what would it be and why? So this, it goes to, this is why I said the helpful huddle, right? Uh -huh. Because it's have faith in yourself. Um, because believe in yourself that you are capable of doing whatever you want to do. And it is achievable. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, my advice to myself and my advice to others is don't be afraid to take that leap of faith and the person that needs to believe in you the most is looking at you in the mirror every morning when you wake up, because that's where it starts is right there in the mirror saying, I've got this, but also don't be afraid to say, I don't know things like I go, I still go to my advisors and say, can you help me? Like, I don't know. And that's okay. 
because nobody knows, as Sheldon Cooper would say, no one knows everything. Um, and so have faith in yourself and believe that you can do it. And if you don't have the answers, that is why we learn is because you sure. don't, we, no one has the answers. So we learn and you explore and have fun and have faith in yourself and never be afraid to take a risk. Love that. All right, Michael. So for, for our last question, absolutely. I always, I always like to kind of leave it with, with this, like, so what would you suggest for, our, this is going to be a multi-part question, by the way. Oh. Um, what would you suggest for our audience? Like if they want to learn more about the DEI efforts, what, where can they learn that? And then to continue my conversation, the, uh, question like if they want to continue this conversation is there a way that they can reach out to you or is there a platform that they can sure. get in contact with sure so there are not many michael keller juries in the world so i'll <laughs> tackle the latter part first um Perfect. anyone can find me on linkedin and connect with me via that platform that is probably the easiest way to get a hold of me um if you google or just LinkedIn search my name, it comes right up. So that is um, the way and I'll I'm link that in the description for the video. And it'll also be below you for anyone that watches on YouTube. I think you should make your classes watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so for me, I think that's one. Um, and the other platform is look at you. I, I platforms to look at there's actually a lot of um department of labor and the labor statistics you can start informing yourself depending on your personality right of what you want to see are you a numbers person you can look at the department of labor and you can see legitimate numbers um but you can also go and everybody knows google but what people also don't know, and I know you know this, Luke, from your master's program, Google has another arm of it called Google Scholar. And type in simply diversity in the workplace. And there are some incredible articles. Um, and you can see them like there, there are publications called the Academy of Management Journal, um, the Journal of Applied Psychology, there are some major publications of publishing or, um, sorry, of that really speak to that. And so you can look at those mainstream articles and just read and they give a really great overview. And if any of your, the listeners want to reach out via LinkedIn and ask me about, you know, can you send me the name of that article? I'm happy to share that as well. Perfect. No, I love that. And thank you for being open to speaking with any any listeners that may want to get in contact with you about it. Of course. Um, but Michael, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge with me, anybody that's listening. It, it's truly been a very educational process for me this entire hour that we've been talking. And the, the work you're doing is so important. And I know you know that, but I, you also need to hear that. What you're doing is very important. Well, thank you. And I, you know, thank you. And I appreciate it. And 
you know, you are one of my closest friends. So um, anything, anytime. Perfect. So, Michael, again, thank you. We're going to say bye to the people now. So throw up a do sign our way. Yes. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> any of, if any of my friends see that, they will laugh hysterically with that because that is so outside my realm. <laughs> I am posting it. You know I can screenshot that. Of course I do. (laughs) (laughs) But, Michael, once again, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Episode 10 of the Helpful Huddle Podcast, where we interviewed Michael Caligari on the different subjects surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion. Remember to give us a like and a follow on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter with the user handle at helpful underscore huddle and the YouTube channel at helpful huddle podcast. You are also able to listen to us on both Spotify and Apple Podcast. The links are also found in the description below. Please reach out with your questions on topics that you would like to learn about in the future.